Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Palin Thing Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yakas. For all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories, go to yakgadgets.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighters. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. For all your hard and soft bait needs, go to the 153anglers.com. So join with me as together we dive into the tips and techniques that will help make us better anglers out on the water. Welcome back to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Uh, so thanks again for joining me this evening. Tonight, um, for the first time on the Noob Show, uh, uh, we have a guest who's actually been on Paddle and Fin quite a few times before. He's been on the final cast with uh, Brad and Josh, uh, once for Wilderness Systems and once for his own line of uh, brand of clothing line that uh, hopefully he'll talk about a little bit tonight. Uh, but I wanted to bring on Josh Shrenko from the uh, Smalley Talk podcast to talk about uh, Fall River Smalley's. Welcome to the new show, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Sean. What's up, man? How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Been a busy weekend for me. Uh, I had a tournament yesterday, and I was just waiting nice. for that awesome folly bite or sm- uh, fall Smalley bite that everybody's been talking about, and I actually stunk it up. I had a a rough day. I, I caught three fish, two were measurable, and um, all the places I, I thought I knew where they would be, they weren't. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been listening to the Faith and Fishing podcast, and um, my friend Cam over there does a, uh, a segment called uh, Learn From My Mistakes. And one of the mistakes I made was uh, first, I caught a, a fish second cast out on the water on, Classic. Uh, top, <laughs> on top water. And I was like, oh, this is going to be epic. This is going to be the best day ever. And, um, I kind of gave up on that topwater bite. I was like, well, I, I had a plan that I wanted to go execute. And I was like, well, uh, I'm going to just put away my topwater and go down to this spot where I, you know, almost always catch fish. And I probably should have stayed cause I, I had two more misses on that topwater before I had left that spot. And, um, mm. you know, so learn from my mistakes. If you have something that seems like it's working, stick with it a little bit. So yep for sure man but yeah so for the folks who haven't uh heard you on uh brad and josh's show uh just uh give the folks a little intro to who uh who josh tranko is yeah sure man uh well you know i would say i would describe myself first and foremost as like just a smallmouth fanatic um started fishing really when i was a little 
kid, real old enough to walk, I was, I had a rod in my hand. My dad was a big bass fisherman and did mostly like largemouth stuff growing up. Um, uh, I had a boat, I had a bass boat before I had a car. Um, did, you know, fish in my dream was like be a professional bass fisherman. I idolized, you know, the Kevin Van Dams of the world and, um, you know, had read Bass Masters magazines, you know, nonstop and, um, sort of, uh, you know, just as life kind of, uh, as everybody knows, takes turns and unexpected things. Um, I ended up kind of not fishing for me, you know, I don't know, it was probably five or so years of my life. I fished a little bit, but just wasn't using my boat like I wanted to. And, um, you know, it had to do with girls mostly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, you know, it happens a lot of times. I've seen it time and time again. Um, but, uh, and then I remember I sold my boat and, and I bought a kayak. It's kind of like a little, like, oh, well, I don't have a boat. I can, you know, at least go get out on a kayak my brother-in-law, he had it. He had bought one, same one as me, just a little crappy, um, sit inside, three hundred dollars special, you know. And um, it what it did is it got me out on the river because I really before that, you know, I'd fish some tournaments in my boat on rivers, but um, it was pretty limited where you could go. Um, and then Indiana, which is where I'm from, uh, the rivers around here are very big and the ones that we do have are pretty shallow. Um, and I really just didn't have other than wading creeks and catching smallmouth like that. I really just didn't have any experience, um, putting much time into the rivers. And I always kind of knew smallmouth were cool. You know, it's kind of one of those things like, yeah, you know, they're really cool fish. There's always need to catch, but you know, just didn't catch them very often. And, uh, that kayak got me out on the river and man, it didn't take long before I was like, this is so freaking cool. Like I can go out. There's nobody out here. You know, I don't have all these boats and jet skis whizzing around me. And I'm catching these fish that like fight twice as hard as a largemouth, And they're like exploding on top water. And it, it really, you know, that was probably about, you know, well, gosh, 36. So it was probably 12 or 13 years ago that I sort of fell in love. And back then kayak fishing wasn't really a thing. Like it was just kind of getting started. Like right. there was like, you know, a couple companies that had some like decent kayaks, but like nothing like it is today. And so it was kind of like right place, right time. That kayak industry was growing. I was getting into kayak fishing at the same time and all these new kayaks were coming out. I was meeting, you know, the Drew Gregory's and the Eric Jackson's and, the, you know, the, all those guys that like are now are, you know, pretty staples in the industry. And, uh, and it really just, it was like, once I fell in love with that, I, I kind of just, I'm the kind of guy when I really fall in love with something, I dive in head first. And, um, you know, after really pursuing catching smallmouth for, you know, several years, getting better and better and better at it, people were asking me to take them out, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, started to, decided to start a podcast. We're in our third season of that, um, finishing up our third season. And, uh, you know, Smalley talks what it's called. Basically, all we do is just talk about small, small mouth fishing. Um, and it's, uh, I would say it's probably about 80% man boy humor and then 20% <laughs> fishing. <laughs> um, my co host is one of the funniest guys I know. Uh, he's a, a friend of mine that grew up with, um, real good friends with my brother. And we both just are eat up with small mouth fishing. And then, uh, 
yeah, just this year started, as you mentioned, started a clothing company and, um, you know, I own a small business. I've owned a small business for about 10 years. That's what I do for a living. I do like medical devices, but, uh, it's not something I super passionate about. I enjoy it, but you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I do it for a living. And uh, I was like, man, I really want to start up another business in the fishing industry. And, um, you know, after a bunch of different, uh, kind of planning sessions and stuff, I, I brought in a couple business partners and we started this uh, business called a Cheegan and it's, Essentially, right now, it's just clothing, um, and it's all kind of based off of our love for smallmouth. Everything's All the designs, everything are based off of just people who like to fish for smallmouth. And um, we're growing, put a lot, a lot of effort into that this year, and that's kind of defined my 2021 so far as hours and hours and late nights and planning sessions and, you know, everything that I've poured into that. So that's just getting started, but... I guess that's 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 me in a nutshell, man. I just love smallmouth and everything I do is related to smallmouth. So, well, listening to your guys' podcast, you can kind of tell. I mean, uh, I I'm not sure if you still have the same intro, but you always, you had this person kind of yelling at the beginning. Yep. Like, Woo! And, yeah, uh, I'm like you can, you just know you're in for a fun time when you listen to that. So, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the river call, man. We whenever we catch. <laughs> Whenever we catch a, a nice smallmouth on the river, dude, we go berserk. Like it's, you know, if there's multiple guys out there, like you can hear us from like half a mile away. So <laughs> yeah, it's, we go nuts out there for sure. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So guys definitely uh, check out uh, the Smalley Talk podcast. It's tons of great information, uh, fishing in general, but specifically for smallies. I know uh, you guys have um, had a lot of guests on that. I've learned a ton from uh, Juan Verut was one guy, you know, mm-hmm. I, I sought him out after hearing him on your show. I went to a couple of seminars and then eventually got him on our show because um, mm-hmm. he is just a, a wealth of river knowledge. And um, but, yeah, yep. there's tons of great info. And um, so uh, and and I definitely check out the Achigan brand. That it seems like really cool. I mean, especially if you're a Smalley lover. So, well, at the end of the show, we'll we'll get uh, get you to tell the folks where they can find you and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, no problem. In, in the meantime, um, I wanted to pick your brain about fall Smalley fishing. Um, you know, they say you know they're strapping the feed bags on. You know, it's going to be lights out. And is that generally your experience? Yeah. So. Um... Fall is a, is is a transition time, you know. You you have like in like really in, in you know we talk about smallmouth, but bat they're bass, right? Like bass in general behave about the same. Like there's some nuances here and there, but like you know when you talk about largemouth, same thing, spot, same thing. Like they're doing the same sort of migrations. Now what makes you know I'm fishing in a river, so it's definitely uh, we do fishing like some, but it's it's there's just not a lot of lakes around here with smallmouth um but you know there's not smallmouth aren't like super unique in what they're doing um but fall is a transition period so you kind of you know you look at the seasons like if you break down the seasons right you have you know kind of early spring when they're coming out of winter and then you know they have you have what everybody likes to call pre-spawn, which is like probably my favorite time of the year to fish. Like pre-spawn is like super fun. And pre-spawn is a transitional period, right? You're going from the winter to spawning. Like that's a transition. And that transition requires them to 
it's part of their primal instinct to feed and they're feeding because the the spawn is a very strenuous time for them so the the spawn is like takes a lot of their energy and if you ever call it post-spawn bass right they're usually super skinny and yeah they right. laid their eggs and everything but they're skinny because they've expended a ton of energy and they haven't really eaten you know they're they're guarding nests they're laying eggs like they're doing all those things and they're they're not paying attention to feeding themselves they're concentrated on you know breeding and then you know then you have summertime post spawn summertime comes and that, the fish kind of go into their like you know uh, i would say they're more like uh protective routine like they're they're just kind of living life summertime is kind of their like you know regular just like we go to our spots i live this side of the river i live this part of the lake we're just hanging out doing our thing trying to stay in some cool water and you know we'll eat some we won't eat other times and then fall comes and that's where fall is kind of the same as pre-spawn it's transitional period and like they know that it's getting ready to get cold um the the their um forage that they're eating their their forage is going to start dwindling it's going to get less and less and their metabolism is going to slow down because the water is going to get colder so they know in that transition period like they have to feed because they're that food that they're eating in the fall has got to last them through the winter time um so that's why fall is sort of special just like pre-spawn is it's transitional right so their their primal instinct to feed is triggered now it's not that simple <laughs> you know <laughs> it never it, is it never is yeah like if, if fishing was like that simple you could just anybody could go out and do it you know and, and that's the cool thing about fishing right fisher i wouldn't say they're very smart but they're just unpredictable you know and the fall time for me at least so pre-spawn which is your other like you know really kind of popular transition that's all driven by water temperature in my opinion like you can if you find the water temperature the water temperature is spiking and you find the warm water like you'll find feeding fish the fall is not really like that you're not like the water's cooling down um fall is more about finding like where the bait fish are but in in my experience it the feeding is very sporadic and i i don't know if i've really ever been able to figure out like any like pattern necessarily of, like oh man this is happening like in the springtime it's like you have like two or three warm days in a row and you're like man i need to get out there because those right. fish are going to be feeding the fall you know sometimes if you get a cold snap it it will trigger them but like sometimes it's weird like they'll feed for a couple days and they'll stop they'll feed for a couple days and they'll stop and uh you know, it's, it's a, t I would say I'm not the best fall fisherman in the world. Like if that's, if there's one like weakness in my game, like I have trouble in the fall time, really like, my, you know, to me, it's like more of like, you're either out on the right day or you're not, you know? Right, right. Um, but that's, you know, f for me, I guess that's where I would, how would I explain fall to people who are, you know, just kind of learning this sport and, you know, you have, from a location standpoint in the summertime, those fish are all spread out, especially your big fish. They're real territorial. So they're going to be like in their little, you know, their tree that they hang out in. they're in their riffle of their hand. They're, they're in their little like domain. And the fall is when they start going from that place to where they're going to winter. And 
that's when you'll start finding them in wintering holes. And I can't, I can't explain in wintering holes. I don't want to get too deep into it before we start, you know, we can get a little more nuance with our conversation, but it's a transitional period. That's the probably the best way to explain it. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So. And I know um, in my experience i fish both uh lakes and rivers i have the susquehanna right by me uh, but i also have lakes and in the fall on the lakes generally what i'm doing is going around looking for bait balls and you know um but it really there is no pattern to where they are other than where the bait balls are Mm -hmm. you know i in the summertime on the lakes and stuff i i know spots and i can go to those spots and usually catch them but in the fall it was almost the same as the river like i went to all my normal spots and you know, it's not, that's just not where they are. They're where the bait fish is period, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but on the river, it's a little, a little weird. Cause I, I don't generally even in the fall have much luck looking for bait balls, if you will, just mainly because the river is so shallow and they don't, I don't use my fish finder much. They don't uh, so school up bust, like they do right, yeah. in a yeah. lake. So it, um, so there's, there's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely a different game on the river. Um, so that's what I was kind of curious, what kind of places you start to look for. Are you, uh, I, I remember like Juan talking about, um, finding the wintering holes and then finding the, the stops along the way to the wintering holes. And that's where he tends to, to start looking. Is that kind of been your experience or where you shoot yeah. to? Yeah, for sure, man. Like wintering holes, like, and it's one of those things is, you know, like when I first started like fishing one, I didn't fish in the winter time. So like, I didn't really understand where those fish were that time of year. Um, but I remember one particular trip I actually took with my dad. It was an overnight trip to one of our local, probably my, I would consider it my home river. It's pretty, pretty, it's like a mid-sized river. Um, it's one of those, like it's a pool riffle, pool riffle, pool riffle type of type of river, you know, um, so there's like very distinct, like fast water, slow water, fast water, slow water. And, uh, it was in like late October and it was really low and really clear. And you could just visually see the fish. Like you could just see them. And I remember like, like seeing like groups, like packs of smallmouth, like big smallmouth, like 17, 18 inch smallmouth. And I'm nice. like, I'm like, man, this is, uh, you know, this is interesting. And we got on a pattern because uh, prior to that, you know, I, I didn't really understand the migratory, like, patterns of smallmouth. I just kind of knew, like, you just fish for them. And, yeah, they go, you fish on bottom or whatever. Well, we got on, like, a dead stick, like, Cinco bite that that particular trip. And um, what, what we ended up finding was, like, when you would find an area where – I would actually find rough fish. So, and this is a really good technique for those who are in like shallower, clear rivers. Um, so smallmouth and carp and catfish, they all winter in the same spots. 
So like if you find like a bunch of like a big concentration of like carp in October, like the carp typically move in first before the smallmouth do. Like that's where the smallmouth are going to winter. Like they're going to winter where those carp are. And it, you know everybody thinks like, "Oh, well, it's a deep slow area." Yeah, but there is more like there's more nuance to that. I found some areas where I'm like, "Man, this is a great wintering hole." And like there's no fish there in the winter time. Like there's just not. And a lot of it has to do with protection. So if the river floods in the wintertime, they need a place to go to like really get out of that current because they're so lethargic in the wintertime that they can't expend enough energy to like survive if a flood washes them out. Right. Um, <clears throat> the other thing, they don't move that far in, in free flowing rivers. Now, if there's a reservoir and it's dammed up, that's different. They'll run way upstream to the, the reservoir um, to, to winter because that's the safest place. But if it's a free flowing river and there's no reservoirs, like they're going to usually like where they spawn, where they winter and where they're in the summertime is going to be like within like three quarters of a mile to a mile. Pretty, pretty like small area. And it's cool because if you find a big fish, like in the, in the summertime, if you like miss a big fish, like, you're like, Oh man, that was huge fish. We've all been there, you know? Mm-hmm. usually you can find out where that fish is going to be at in the wintertime. Cause it's like, all right, this fish is here in the summer. Like where's, where's the spot where they'd be in the wintertime. And it, you can over, if you get to know a river well enough, you can be like, Oh, all these fish that are in the summer spot, this is where they have to be. And it's like usually a deeper area. Sometimes it's not the deepest, but it's going to be protected. It's going to be slow. There's usually going to be like a turn in the river or some kind of like, feature that protects them when it's high like you can another way you can find winter spots is not that you want to be on the river but when it's flooded you can go see what areas are protected and what aren't um because if you got water just ripping through there they're not going to winter there because there's no protection right um but when you do find those wintering spots especially if it's like you know like an area like man there's a bunch of big fish in this area all those big fish are going to this one spot and the most vulnerable that they are it's probably like the like middle of the fall because there you know where they're going to be at. They're going to be actively feeding, um, and they're all going to be in one spot. And usually the water's pretty clear, so you can pick them off too. So it's a it can be a really fun time to fish, but sometimes you like right now. I went out the other day and it was like six inches of visibility, and we're like, well, you know, like. Right. Right. There are no visual takes going on. And it's like, I don't know where the fish are at because I can't see them. You know, we weren't getting any bites. So if if you have some clear conditions, that's if it's really clear, if you have a river close to you that you're like, man, I really want to learn this river. I want to learn how to fish it in the fall. When it's really clear, just go and paddle. Like put your rod up, go paddle, go find the catfish, go find the cart. And then if you sit around long enough, you'll see some smallmouth in there. Um, it, when they're moved in, like they're here, where we're at, they're not there yet. It's probably about, I would say two to three weeks of maybe a nut, one cold snap and they'll be in there and they're, they'll usually be in there from like he, around here from like the second week of October through like the second week in November was when they're like still pretty active. And then they right. start going real, getting real lethargic and be it, really hard to catch. So, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, we're this week. Uh, we're just coming back from a, a high water event. We had some flooding last week, and so uh, the flow was still pretty fast, but not unpaddable. Uh, I went out earlier in the week, uh, had an awesome evening, uh, just throwing a tube. Uh, caught like I was only out for an hour and a half before after work before it got dark, and uh, you know I think I caught you know seven in in that hour and a half. And nice. then, so I was thinking, you know, that's where I went on Saturday morning thinking, you know, oh, it's still a little high, you know, and, and nothing. So, uh, yeah. it definitely does make a difference. I mean, that was three days, really three days later, I think from, from that other event. And so the water level had dropped. It was definitely clearer. Uh, when I went out on, what was that Wednesday? I think it was, it was still, uh, pretty murky. Uh, I happened to find a spot right where a creek was coming out into the main river and you could kind of see those two different lines hitting and that mm -hmm. was where i was fishing and did real well um but by saturday morning it was uh pretty clear especially in the lower uh shallower areas out deep it was still a little more murky uh, you know i think i probably had maybe a foot foot and a half visibility um but uh, definitely in the shallows i could i could see what was going on so yeah, it definitely. It helps, man. When it's clear for me, like it's a, it's a, like, even if I don't catch fish like, or do as well, cause sometimes, you know, you get those muddier conditions and the fish are just on and it's fun because you're not spooking them. You can throw big, huge stuff or big, annoying stuff. You don't have to worry about, you know, casting lightly and all. Um, so it's fun to do that. But man, when the river's clear, I feel like I can really break the river, break the fish down way quicker because I can see like, oh, there's fish here. There's not fish here. Or I can see them chase my bait and how they're reacting to it and that sort of thing. Like, and that all like when you're, you know, trying to like create a pattern when you're out there, like you should always be like, you should never catch a fish and like not analyze it. Like every fish you catch from where you caught it, I mean, in a kayak, it's super easy. Just go paddle over where you caught it, look at it, and be like, all right, he oh. I mean, how many times have you done that? Like, you caught a fish, and you're like, man, where did that thing come from? You paddle over there, and there's some feature that you couldn't see. Yep. You know? And you're oh, like, yeah. man, oh, yeah. And then you take that, and you're like, okay, well, let's look for more of those things. Um, and when the water's clear, it makes it way easier to do that. Um, whereas when it's muddy, I just... Sometimes I get like, I don't know what that, where that can then came from. Like, I don't, I don't have any context clues to it. So it makes it harder to put together a pattern for me. So. And one thing I, I noticed after um, this last flood event that we had is uh, structure that I was there was gone and new structure was in places where I didn't expect it to be. I'm like, so, you know, that lay down that, uh, submerged lay down that I had hit, you know, all summer long. Uh, I went back there and I'm like, oh, it is gone. It's no longer there. And <laughs> that's, but then that's a river for you, man. It's yeah. constantly changing, <laughs> you know. Well, and then the the water level will change, and there'll be like uh, a grass island will show where you know you weren't even sure that you know it was that was a high spot before, but right. you know, you know, I'm like, I swear I don't remember that being there, but uh, it is yeah. crazy how 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 the river changes, you know, it, on a lake, you know, when you mark structure, it's pretty much going to be there every time you go back, but on a river, that's no guarantee, especially yeah. when, when you get the kind of flows that, 
we get sometimes. So and the Susquehanna is a is a beast. First of all, <laughs> like that that river is like so big. Like I the I've only been there one time. I fished with Juan and and a few other you a few other guys and and uh, man, like that was one of those the first time you get on it, and I'm like, holy crap, this thing is huge. Um, but it's cool because it, it fishes like a smaller river. I mean, it's got like, there's some uniqueness to it. Like you have those ledges that run across, which is like, you don't see that anywhere else. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've <laughs> ever seen a ledge that ran across the, you know, a, a mile wide river. Like that's just not something you see every day, but like the boulders and the islands and the grass islands and all that stuff. Like, I feel like it fishes like a, like a bunch of little smaller rivers put together. Um, and it's cool. It, I mean, that's one of those rivers. Like, dude, I'd be a mess if I lived where you live. Like, <laughs> I'd probably be divorced because <laughs> uh, I would be like, dude, I'd be out there all the time. We we don't have anything even close to that cool around where I'm at to fish. So. And and that's one of the things. Like to talking to some of the other paddle and fin hosts, and and I totally took for granted. You know, when they'd say, "Oh, I'm fishing the river this weekend," in my mind, I'm picturing fishing the Susquehanna. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like uh, Brad would talk about the you know the Little Miami or the the Duck River down with where um, uh, where was I forget where Duck is down in uh, Tennessee I think but mm -hmm. it's like a hundred feet wide in spots and that's like the widest spots and yeah it, sure. it just blew my mind that I'm like wait you know this is not the same thing that I'm talking about um, yeah totally and, different and susquehanna is not like all dammed up too like a, like a i know there are some dams on it but for the most part it's free flowing and uh, it does get flooded like it changes a lot of those bigger rivers that you see um they're impounded and like they control the flow so like the trees and stuff a lot of times they it's kind of like a lake it never really like it's blown out like susquehanna dude i mean it gets blown out just like a little creek does you know except it's right. like huge yeah uh, yep and that so just yeah. last week that happened and it, it's crazy you know it's yeah. it, it's not safe to be out there you know it, it definitely takes and they say oh you know fish the rising water and i'll do it as long as i know i can paddle but it quickly becomes unpaddleable and even oh yeah if you're there's even times i've seen it where even a small boat wouldn't be able to make headway you know it's flowing that good i i forget i remember the the one time last summer I was talking to a guy and he was, he said the flow right now is double what Niagara Falls is. And Ooh. that just blew my mind. I was like, yeah. And you know that I went down and you know, there's huge, you know, trees just booking down river, you know, but, you know, there's no way. That's no, could... that place is no joke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be out there when it's flooded. I, I'd be, I honestly, if I lived out there, dude, I'd have a, freaking fifty thousand dollar rock proof jet boat i don't know if i would kayak fish because it's just so big like you know it's like a kayak it's like man it's hard to even like whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies and weatherproof options to withstand the elements Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I, like I said, when I first got out there, I'm like, well, I guess I'll go fish one of these islands out here. <laughs> Just like paddled right. over there. 
caught an 18. I'm like, holy crap, dude, this thing's full of smallmouth. Yeah. But, it's so. overwhelming when you first look at it, but you know, it, it does give you the opportunity to really break it down. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many areas that you can, different areas, there's sandbars, there's ledges, like you said, Creek mouths, um, rocks and boulders and islands and bridges and, you know, you name it. And, um, you know, I don't have to drive far to try different things. Now, that being said, the, you know, the tournament that I fished this weekend, it was an hour and a half. Like I can be at the Susquehanna in 15 minutes, but um, then this tournament was an hour and a half north of me uh, up on the north branch and west branch of the Susquehanna. And that fishes sometimes entirely different than the stretch that's right by me. So I'm sure it's the same, but different. And it's, that's, that's another cool thing about it. And, I can drive an hour and a half north. I can drive an hour and a half south and, you know, down into Maryland where it starts getting down towards the bay. And it's another completely different. Stripers and stuff there, aren't they? Yep, yep. Yeah. Where the in the, the Susquehanna Flats and, and down getting towards the bay, you have the stripers and now snakeheads down there. Snakehead's mm-hmm. the new big thing down on that end. So That's cool. Yeah, it's definitely a unique fishery, and I'm blessed to live close. And luckily, I moderate my fishing enough that my wife still you know tolerates me (laughs) (laughs) it's a constant challenge for sure (laughs) amen to that man for sure so it's it's definitely you know anytime i'm sitting around i'm like you know what in 15 minutes i could be fishing yeah (laughs) yeah i don't i don't have that problem like i said it's probably a good thing i've i've looked at property on a couple of the rivers around here because I really would like to get either a house or like a cabin or something like that. Um, but I I think it's probably good for a home base to be like at least 30 minutes from a good river. Because <laughs> if it's not, dude, I'm <laughs> I, it's bad, bad news. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely cool, man. That's how so how far are you from like Harrisburg area? Uh, about half an hour from Harrisburg, half an hour south. Damn, dude. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Yeah. And I know that place is like off the chain. Like it's, it's crazy good. I had, I was texting a guy tonight, um, about it. He was like, we were talking about the Susquehanna and it came up something in, uh, I remember I had one evening. Uh, so we would like, we camped at this, it's the ferry boat campgrounds and, um, there's a, like a ramp right there. And, uh, so we go out fishing during the day and me, I'm like, I'm already there, dude. I'm going to fish. I'm fishing all day. Like I'm not going to go back and, you know, I'll, 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 I'll like drink beer when it's dark out. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do it during the day. Well, we would, we do the main float, come back. And then I would just go launch at the, at the, uh, ferry, but the little ramp or whatever. Campground ramp. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's, a uh, it wasn't high there and it was probably pretty like normal summer stage. So it's still, that river's moving like to paddle upstream in it. Like you, it takes a, you know, you're, you're working, you're working yep. pretty hard, um, especially with no pedals. Um, and I paddled up, it was probably like seven 30. It was going to get dark around nine 30. I put it at seven 30, paddled all the way up and, um, I got up as far as I could go. I paddled for like 45 minutes straight. And I was like, I'm going to go as far as I can go. And then I'm going to turn around and I'm just going to float back as the sun setting. And uh, so I get up there 
into this island and I kind of get out and get prepped up. And I was like, all right, I'm going to turn around. And dude, I, I started floating back down and it was like, it was crazy. There were fish, every one of those grass islands at the very tip of it, there were like smallmouth busting on, on, um, I'm like bait fish and I was throwing a spinner bait and dude, it was like everyone you'd come to you. I didn't have time to anchor anything. I just get like two or three casts and I just like whack, whack, whack. I was whacking fish. I ended up in like an hour and a half. I caught 12 fish over 18 inches. Wow. I was like, dude, this place is nuts, dude. <laughs> There's so many huge smallmouth in here. And I know it, that, that was in 2018. I know it's not fish as well the last couple of years from what I understand. Uh, but I think this year has been pretty good from what I've Yeah, heard. no, I, so. I, I would say the last two years for me have been really good. Um, there was like two or three years that I would say were down years. Um, mm-hmm. I remember talking to a, a smallmouth guide somewhere around uh, 2018, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking clients out for catfish right now because I can't catch smallmouth. You know. Yeah, I heard that. I said, Joe Raymond was he was talking about that. Uh, I was messaging him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, he feels like the flatheads have eaten all the smallmouth." I'm like, "Dude, there's so many smallmouth in there. That's not even <laughs> possible." And I caught, I caught it when I was there. I caught it. I don't know, it's probably a thirty pound flathead on a crankbait. Yeah, towed me around for about forty minutes. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, so I know they're in there too. But um, dude, this smallmouth that that place is just like. It's the perfect, that stretch right there through Harrisburg, like, I don't know how far up that good water goes, but it's just like the most perfect smallmouth habitat. Like, the, you could, if you, like when God created that, he's like, yeah, I'm going to make this, like, the perfect smallmouth over there, and I'm going to make it a mile wide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's just so great. Um, if it weren't for us screwing it up and, you know, polluting it, it I was going to say that's the unbelievable. One, the one bad thing they say about Harrisburg is the pollution up there. You yeah. Know, that, that at one point there was like open sewage just going in there and like, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, like you said, it's, it's definitely rebounding. You know, the, some of those companies that were dumping stuff in have been stopped and, you know, some, you know, finally, I think turning the tide on that a little bit and you can tell cause the, the smallmouth fishing is just, you know, you know, back on the rise again that's so good yeah here yeah I'll have to go back there next year yeah so. definitely if you're in the area let me know i'll you know for sure man you can bunk here i i got a spare bedroom if you're looking for a place to stay nice yeah i'll bring the jet boat i'll bring kayaks <laughs> the raft i'll bring all of it nice. <laughs> but uh yeah it's cool man well i guess getting back to fall um is there anything specific that you're like you think we should cover I was wondering, do you change up baits or, or, or tactics at all uh, in the fall? Yeah, so um, I definitely change stuff up, no doubt. Um, like Kind of like what you were saying is like it's it's typically going to be more of a bait fish bite than it is a, you know, like your traditional crawfish or whatever. But here's what I have found is that if the fish are not feeding actively on bait fish, you can still catch them on like a, a crawl imitation. So it's kind of an either or for me. If they're like being aggressive and feeding on bay fishing, you can usually figure that. And it's weird in the fall. Sometimes they'll go like through periods of the day where they'll feed and then they'll stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually you'll see like your 
the bust. Like you'll see fish, you know, running shad up on the bank, or you'll see them like hitting stuff like real aggressively. You know, you'll catch a fish and they'll be puking out bait fish, that sort of thing. And then, you know, that may die down certain parts of the day, or you know, the next day may not be the same. And that's when if you you kind of know where they're at, you know, they're going to be really close to those wintering holes. And, you know, kind of classifying a winter hole, you have, like, the part where they actually winter, which is, like, the really, like, deep, deeper, slow area. It's, like, going to be, like, maybe in some cover, and it's going to be, like, really protected. And then you have, like, think of, like, a pool, you know. You have, like, a top of the pool where it's, like, fast water, and you have the bottom of the pool where the pool's starting to pick up speed and into the next fast water section. And they'll usually be like in the top or the bottom of those pools right? in the fall. And you'll catch them. And then sometimes they'll be cruising maybe on, or on the banks where it's a little shallower. They won't be like in the deep spot. You catch them in the wintertime and they're like stuck to the bottom. I've caught them with mud on their bellies before. Right. They're like right. down in the deepest part. Um, and that's, you know, like I said, I either, it's either like a, like a, uh, bait fish imitation, which for me is always going to be a fluke because I don't think anything imitates it as well as a fluke. You can throw spinner baits, you can throw other things and they'll hit them. I just think a fluke is like the best or anything like a soft jerk bait for me is like the best imitation of like an actual like injured bait fish that you can throw. Um, and then uh, if they're on bottom, you know, uh, like a Ned rig or a tube or something you know, just imitates a crawfish. I'm, I love those uh, in clear water. Those um, um, crawlsies, yeah. Um, you know, on a little offset Ned head, like to me, that's like it doesn't get any better than that from a crawl imitation in clear water. They just like do it looks just like a little crawfish. Um, so I'll like usually just those two things, and then you'll get on some top water bites like in the fall, like if they're chasing. I don't personally think that's the most effective. Like in the fall, um, topwater bite can be had, but I think if they will hit topwater, they'll probably hit a fluke and they'll hit a fluke better. Okay. That's sort of my theory behind it. Well, that's uh, on uh, Saturday morning. I, I, I got that first hit, like second cast, and then um, I threw, I was throwing a, a spook and they kept just bumping it not mm -hmm. committing to it. And that's why I kind of gave up on that and, and uh, went down. But I, you're, you're probably right. If I would have tied on something that would have been a little subsurface, maybe, you know, not quite just on top, I think. Uh, and I had just watched a video um, and, uh, on, uh, on fluke fishing about, you know, that it really works well because you can, depending on the, the size hook you use and stuff, you can cover different parts of the water column with it. You know, if you use like a lighter gauge wire, you can you oh, yeah. cover more of the top. But if you use a heavier gauge wire and a like a little denser soft plastic fluke that you can, you know, sink it down a little bit and get, get those things, uh, the fish that aren't necessarily targeting stuff on top. So, yeah, super versatile. I mean, that's, you know, if, if dang Gene Jensen hadn't taken the fluke, fluke master <laughs> uh, name, that's what I would probably call myself. I just love it. <laughs> I, a fluke to me is, uh, you know, that's like the ultimate versatile bait. You know, you fish it really spring, summer, fall, even wintertime. I've caught them on fluke in the wintertime, just dead sticking it all the way to the bottom. It's just so versatile. 
Um, and for me, it's like I I'm that's like my confidence bait because I know like I know how fish react to it. I can throw it like you can skip it. You can you know you can put it anywhere. Like you can you know it's just a really really versatile presentation. So for me, like I said, like you want to throw a spinnerbait. I love throwing spinnerbaits, but that's more gonna be like a dirty cloudy water play for me. If it's clear, I'm gonna always default to a fluke um and then uh you know like i said top water sometimes you know how that is do top water and I, I don't know some maybe there's a hatch going on or i'm just gonna of, say like mayfly season on the susquehanna is top water heaven yeah i say some, something's going on where it's like they're looking up um and they're like man but i even think in that those circumstances they they'll still hit a fluke because if they're looking up and they see a dying bait fish like or a bug like they're probably going to hit either one of them. Right. Um, so that's sort of my theory. I think top water is probably a little bit more if you're sort of doing trophy hunting and you're like trying to catch bigger fish. Top water is probably a little better for that. Um, fluke, you, you catch a lot of those mid-sized, like those 13 to 15 inch fish on a fluke. Whereas like top water, you still catch them, but um, it's, it's less frequent um, when a big fish really wants top water. Like they're like, watch out. I'm going to get it. Um, <laughs> so whereas like they'll fight fluke, man, you'll have one of them hit it and the next one will hit it. And top water's not as much like that. So, but yeah. I, I was looking for a guest to talk fluke fishing too. Uh, you know, I like to cover technique specific things too. And um, so I, I sent out a couple of feeler, you know, messages to people asking about, uh, you know, fishing flukes, a couple of people had done videos on that I saw in the past. And so mm -hmm. I'm still on the search for my, my perfect fluke guess, but you know, maybe I'll have to, I love flukes, dude. I'll, I could at least do a segment <laughs> for you on it. Uh, that'd be, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. And I, to be honest, my, uh, my preferred way to fish it is a, like a nose hook. I was going to ask you uh, that. Yep. So, uh, I'll give Juan credit on that. Like he, I've watched one of his videos, like, 10 years ago on it and he was like doing some thing and showing how he hooks it and i remember because i was having you know i'd always fished a fluke traditionally for a largemouth texas rig and uh, to me uh smallmouth it just doesn't suit their like their strike style like uh, uh that nose hook does and that nose hook is basically i use a two-watt wide gap gamagatsu finesse hook and I take it from the bottom of the fluke and I basically hook about uh, maybe half inch back from the nose of the fluke up through the bottom and up through the top. And what it does, you know, this is the main benefit of that rig. And you obviously can't fish that around grass and stuff. So it has its limitations, but the pivot point is at the front. And if you look um, here, I tell you what, I got one right here. I'm going to show you. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com So, 
I got one hanging up here. So if you look, um, so this is somebody hooked this back. Oh yeah, there. Can you see that? Hey there, Sean. I lost you, bud. I'm I'm here. I'm just uh Oh, oh I got I, you. I was making you bigger so people could see it. Oh. So yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> Well, if you look, this is the type of hook I use. And so it's going through the bottom. It's Oops. back a little bit. And basically what that does is when you jerk it, it creates a pivot point at the front of the fluke. So instead of your hook being back here, like your 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 line's right here. And when, when this darts, that kind of is like acts as a hinge at the front of the fluke. And really, if you compare them side by side, it's there is no comparison. Like a Texas rig action compared to like a nose hooked action totally inferior compared to this um, okay and when the smallmouth you know if you if you ever like pay attention when a fish hits something like they usually are hitting at the nose you know they're hitting at the front of the bait now if they're hitting at the back you're probably not gonna catch them anyways you know that's like ir irregular like when a fish wanting to kill something they hit it at the head right and because you have this exposed hook, you know, they eat it and man, the hook sets are just like, you don't even really have to set the hook. I mean, I do kind of snap my wrist a little bit and it usually, if it does it right, it's going to catch it right in that hard cartilage on the roof of their mouth. And like, dude, it ain't coming out. <laughs> like it's hard. Sometimes I have to, you know, get some pliers out to get it out of it, get it out of their mouth. So hook sets are good. I have way higher hook set ratios with this rig. It's a better action. Like the, the only downside to it is like you do, well, two downsides. One, you can't fish it around, you know, real heavy cover or grass. So that's the only time when I'll fish like a, a um, Texas rig. The other part is you go through a ton of flukes because this, uh, you know, this it's only got this little bit of plastic and it just will tear. You'll like make a cast and the fluke will go, boom, <laughs> you know, a mile into the woods um so i would i'd say i you know probably go through a pack of flukes every like four hours or so are you uh mostly using like zoom super flukes or do you have a brand that you prefer definitely zoom super flukes is my preferred and probably more just because it well i like the split tail i think that i think and there are other brands of split tails so like i don't you know not like i'm against another brand but these are just so widely available. Like you can walk into any Walmart in any part of the country and get, you know, 20 packs of flukes. Like to me, like that's, and I go through them so frequently, I don't have time to like get on tackle warehouse and order these special ones. You know, I just go through them way too much. Like I have, if you look back behind me, I have boxes and boxes of flukes, dude, just like tons of them. Cause I, just, I go through them too, so much and I keep colors really simple. White pearl, I'll, I use an albino shad, um, which is like kind of more translucent. So if it's like really clear, that albino shad does a good job. If it's just kind of normal clear, you know, to like cloudy, the white. And then I just recently started using jet black flukes. Okay. And I uh, heard of that. Yeah. You can't get those at Walmart. Uh, you got to <laughs> order those. So I, I ordered at like 50 packs of them or whatever. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, those are cool. And that's like, if it's 
a little dirtier water and I wouldn't fish that in like super muddy water because a fluke doesn't really put off much vibration. Right. And I think that's important in muddy water. But like if you're like looking at 18 inches of visibility or so, which is like cloudy, you know, to a little dirty, like those black flukes, freaking killer. So I probably shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> <laughs> like I use them and it's I've had some killer days on a jet black fluke. So interesting, interesting. You know, I always yeah. kind of gravitate toward the whites and stuff, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'll definitely have to linger a little longer in the fluke aisle next time and uh, take yep. a look at see if I can find some black ones. So, yeah, the black's pretty. I've only found them at like on Tackle Warehouse, okay. I mean, but I mean, it's a stock color for Zoom, it's just not popular. So, you know, and there are other shades of darker, you know, you can get like a watermelon or green pumpkin, or yeah, I was gonna say. It probably works similar. It's just, you know, black is like, mm, nobody else is throwing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw these. So, yeah. And then, and then uh, line preference, you know, you uh, throwing floor car in or foot, uh, yes. the leader? So I usually, I'm pretty much across the board besides my crankbait rod, which is mono. I'm running braid with a fluoro leader and i i pretty much run a fluoro leader on everything besides like if it's muddy and i'm throwing a spinner bait or something like that like even some top water i'll put some fluoro leader. it just depends on you know how clear the water is and that sort of thing but fluke is if it's clear enough to throw a fluke like i'm gonna have a fluoro leader and i usually do like i try to well honestly when i'm out there i take three arm widths of uh of uh line which is probably about eight foot or so mm -hmm. and then i that's my leader length um and i just keep using that leader until it gets short enough to where i'm like all right i need to retie but yep. um yeah it sounds very similar to my, my setup so you know on the river um pretty much every rod i throw is braid to leader um with the same thing i basically do a, a rod and a half length of leader uh which you know generally mm -hmm. just to, just enough to keep the knot out of the the, the reel yeah um yeah for sure um and I, I i will say the the fluoro is one thing i don't mind spending money on um i'm not like a gear guy like i you know i have uh you know i have nice setups but they're not like you know jdm stuff or anything like that um but like the the fluoro i really really like the um the sunline fc sniper that's like i've went through all seaguar stuff i went through you know about every kind of um fluoro you can you could have and do that stuff is just bulletproof like it's so good i've had it break a couple times but it's probably my fault you know right the, like you know i just should have retied and i didn't but I've never had it go bad like before it should have. Um, and that's to me is, is the, you know, hallmark of a really good, good fluoro. So. And the nice thing about doing um, just leaders is you're not, you know, burning a whole spool at once, you know? Oh yeah. A spool lasts you quite a while when you're throwing doing... pure, throwing pure fluoro sucks. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, this is terrible. I mean, I'm sure they make, you know, they make those like kind of hybrid lines. I know Uzuri makes one that guys like a lot. So I'm sure that would be better. But like, I haven't found a pure fluoro that casts like even close to the way Braid casts. Right. So, and Braid has its frustrations, you know, 
gets he gets knotted up, he gets twisted easily, and that sort of thing. But um, Braid is I have confidence in that. I've over the years I've tried different things, tried different things, and it's like that. You know, I use that super slick uh, Power Pro. It's pretty that eight strand braid on my open faces, and I do throw a fluke with an open face. Um, okay. Pretty exclusively, I have a seven foot medium light with a twenty five hundred. Um, uh, I don't even remember what the Shimano. It's a real popular one. They they change it to the Vanford this year. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah, the the uh, that's that's my go to seven foot medium light. With the twenty five hundred spinning reel, dude, I can I am surgical with that. So, I was just going to ask, uh, and then your retrieve is is uh, you vary it up at all, or it's pretty much you know cast, let it sink a little bit, jerk, jerk occasionally. That's sort of like where I feel like experience with a fluke really like I never throw a fluke the same. Okay, like I'm always doing something different, and sometimes like we had a uh, trip recently where we went to Michigan fish the Muskegon river and I was, we were in a jet boat. Um, but my buddy, the, the other guy that has smallly talked with me, um, I was in the back of the boat at the time he was in the front and like, we're both really experienced guys. Like, you know, he fly fishes more, but, um, like he's still really good with conventional and like, dude, I was catching like four to one when he was catching and he was getting <laughs> like pissed off and he's like, dude, why, why? And he's in the front of the boat you know and i'm like he's like well, what are you doing differently and i was watching him i already knew what he was doing differently is like i would throw it like and there was like in that particular river there's a lot uh, some gra- there's like a grass line like a weed line and it was off the bank and the fish were kind of sitting like out from the weed line about a yard or so and what i would do i'd throw it kind of up right on the edge of the weed line and I'd pop it a couple times. And then when I hit that weed line, I would just let it sink for like, I don't know, maybe five or six seconds. And then really once I couldn't see it anymore, I just, you know, just pop up. And then I'd let it sink again for five or six seconds. And dude, what they would, when it would sink, you'd see them, they'd come out and they'd, and this is what's cool about a fluke. They'll come out and they'll like, look at it. And then you can see them; they're like looking at it, and it's kind of like it's kind of like a game of like you're like facing off with the smallmouth, like they're looking at it, and you just like pop, and then they kind of come up again, and they they look at it again, and then just keep you know be patient, you know do it usually like the third or fourth time, dude. And then they were like, pow! They, you know, they didn't hail it, and like he was like he was working at jerk jerk, he let fall jerk jerk, let it fall jerk jerk, let it fall. And he just wasn't catching the fish. And like, dude, they they were being really, really, really intentional about their eats. Like they're like being careful. And that's where to me, a fluke, dude, you can't do that with anything else. You can do it with like a suspending jerk bait, maybe. You know, it's right. probably the only other thing you could do it with. But like there's no other presentation I feel like it's like, oh man, you can visually do that and be that patient and they will like come up and you can see the whole the whole shebang. Um, and it, it's fun, dude. I mean, that's a whole, it's cool to see a smallmouth come up and just blast hop water. Dude, when you like trick them into eating like that, it's a whole oh, yeah. different, that's a whole different like type of satisfaction you get, you know, from that eat. So definitely it's, it's so neat when you can watch them and, and just know that you got their attention, they're following it. And now it's just a matter of being patient enough and, and not overworking the lure enough to scare it away, you know? 
Yep. I've had that happen too, where I start getting all, oh, he's there. Oh, and then I do too much. And they're like, oh, never mind. I'm going to go. Yeah. And sometimes they want it like that. You know, right. it just sometimes they want like a like a a perfectly uh, like a good example of that would be like if you see him busting bait, like okay, well, like you you work as fast as you can. You just like jerk jerk. You right. make that thing super erratic because that's what the bait fish are doing. They're like running up to the top and they're skipping on top. Like you want it to do that, absolutely. But like a lot of times, like especially a neutral fish because you have like active feeding fish that which would be like fish busting. You have kind of neutral fish, which are just kind of like hanging out, and they'll eat if something's in front of them. And then you have fish who are just shut down, which that sucks. Right. Um, you got to like touch them with the lure for them <laughs> to eat it. Um, but like those neutral fish, a lot of times they do want that like slower. And I would say the guys that I've seen fish, I fish with, or you know, like talk with, and like that's probably the number one thing they're doing wrong from a lure presentation standpoint. Is they're just like they're fishing it too fast. You know, guys want to throw buzz baits and spinner baits and crank baits and things like that, which is great when they're actively feeding, but dude, if they're neutral, a lot of times you got to coax them into it. So, right. Right. You know, it's, it's not necessarily a covering water technique, although it could be, you know, potentially, but if mm-hmm. you can see them or, you know, you know where they are, then that's going to be, you know, something that I'm going to go to, you know, uh, yeah, and not, you can cover water with the fluke. You know, you're not going to cover it as much as, like, you know, Whopper Plopper or something like that. But, like, it's also not, like, working on bottom. And if you're working on bottom, dude, you can't – you got to anchor up. You got to watch your line. And that's really why you're anchoring up because you have to, like, feel the bite. Right. The fluke, you don't really have to do that. Like, you you know, you see them eat it. Or, if you know, if you do feel it, it's, like, usually, like, you feel, like, a tick. You know, you'll feel that. So if you don't have to sit there and like wash your line, go sideways, you know? Right. Yep. So, so yeah, man. Cool. Well, that was definitely some good info for sure. Um, now I'm excited to get, I, I just got, you know, I, I had that tournament on Saturday and I got home and an order of flukes had come in that I ordered. Uh, I forget what brand it was. I watched a video. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. That's nice. cool. I'll, I'll try that out. And I was hoping yeah. they would be there for the Saturday tournament. And I got home from the tournament and they were sitting on my, you know, porch. But so now I'm excited to go try that. And um, definitely oh, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. have to have you back on. We'll do a whole fluke episode and yeah. really dig in deep. Yeah, I'd love that, man. Yeah, flukes are, are king, in my opinion. Uh, just like 
you know, they're, they're really, really good. And, you know, like I said, it's, it takes time to learn how to fish it. You know, there's a lot, but like, I think it's fun too. I just like, I mean, if you're not having fun with what you're fishing, like, what are you doing? Right. You know, like it's all great. Like those guys that have a drop shot and sit over 40 feet of water and, you know, watch their electronics. But I guess that's fun. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> but, not for me either. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm out there, even if I'm fishing a tournament, it's like, dude, I want to have fun, man. Like, right. There's a Absolutely. lot of, you're, nobody's getting rich off of kayak tournaments. You know, right. it's like, if you're doing something like that, it's like, unless you're doing it like Jacob Wheeler style and that's not very many guys are doing that. Yeah. So. I was going to say there's few and far between, but yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, it's, it's what I do to relieve stress and to, to not do something that I don't enjoy doing. So, you know, yeah, for sure, it, man, guys take fishing way too seriously. And I, I, I'm serious about like, dude, I practice for tournaments and I, I get upset when I don't do well and you know, all that stuff. Like, but the end of the day dude like why did you start fishing is because it's enjoyable you know and if you're and that's one thing like i don't go out and fish places that like i don't like to fish like i'm not gonna go out and fish a huge reservoir for largemouth because like i don't like doing it like i've done it plenty of times and uh, it's just not my it's not what i you know i don't get my kicks from that so right. you know rivers to me man it's just something about moving water and especially in a kayak dude you're so intimate in nature you're like down on the water you know you're you're the the current's propelling you and you know you're you get to see those fish eat so it do it's so much fun oh so. yeah yeah just being carried along with the current and then you'll hit a spot where you know an eddy you'll meet and all of a sudden your kayak will just turn and just sit when yep. everything around you else is flowing like crazy but you're kind of sitting right in that perfect spot and yeah. you can start making casts from there. Yeah, it's, it's see tough. so many cool stuff out on the river, man. Like cool birds and cool oh, animals, absolutely. and like stuff. When I was boat fishing, I was like, dude, I like you. You know, turn the motor on, and I have a jet boat, so like, in my jet boat's extremely loud. It's a two-stroke. <laughs> uh, it's um, you know, and that has its moments, but like there's nothing like a kayak or like i have a, a drift raft um, i saw like, pictures of that online yeah yeah so the the thing but really similar to a kayak is like it's just like human propelled and like it's quiet and you're you're really in tune with nature like dude that's that's the ticket man it really is and so. i think that's why so many people fall in love with kayak fishing once they try it because it really is different oh yeah yeah so. for sure um but yeah as far as like your listeners man if uh if anybody ever like wants to just, you know, a specific question about anything like on a river or anything like smallmouth related, like, you know, follow me on Instagram and shoot me a DM and like, I will always answer you. Like whether it's on the, the Smalley Talk page or it's on my personal, um, my personal Instagram is about the bronze. Um, I will always respond. I was, you know, sometimes my wife gets mad when I'm, <laughs> typing away on my phone but you guys are like oh man i'm headed up north like you know we're thinking about going to this river like what do you think about this and that and like i'll give you whatever information i have um so definitely don't be shy with that stuff cool so so and and uh any other sponsors or anything you want to shout out yeah so i think you mentioned wilderness systems and i have a huge uh banner, banner back me. there <laughs> there yeah so wilderness systems i've been on their fishing team for it's my fourth season 
Um, and uh, definitely cool guys. Like I fish out of a um, Recon 120 HD. Um, got pedals for the first time this year after begrudgingly not getting them <laughs> for a long time. And and they definitely have their advantages. Um, I I ended up getting second place in a big tournament this year, primarily because of pedals. Like I went upstream where everybody's floating downstream and uh, um, it, uh, it helped me uh, cover a lot of water going upstream because it's really hard to paddle. Um, so those guys are great. Um, they have, you know, put out a great product and I think everybody kind of, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about Wilner systems. Um, but the, the recon is a great value price kayak with pedals. Good, really good kayak for sure. Um, sponsor wise though, I don't really do the whole pro staff thing. You know, I own, my own company so you know it's kind of like my sponsorship so <laughs> that's where uh my money goes is back into my companies so um but uh but yeah i mean wilderness systems has been good to me so for sure and um where can everybody find you uh both your your clothing brand and you know um uh, smallie talk mm-hmm. yeah so smallie talk is uh like i said we're in our third season we're on all the major platforms apple podcasts spotify you know, Google, same thing that you guys are on, you know, that's sort of how the podcast world works is they, you put it on a feed and everybody picks you up. Um, and uh, we're on pretty much all the major platforms. I think I did have to submit it to Spotify about a year ago. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so Smalley Talk is spelled with the I-E, so S-M-A-L-L-I-E, talk two words. Um, and then we're, our Instagram is Smalley Talk Podcast, all one word. Um, Achigan is um, we're kind of go by Achigan brand because the Achigan is universally used for some other things. So at Achigan brand on Instagram, our website is achiganbrand.com. And like I said, we have everything from this hat that I'm wearing here um, all the way to sun shirts and t-shirts. We got some, uh, some new products we're launching we're doing some like wintertime type stuff, some beanies and, and eventually we're going to get into like technical gear. So we're going to get into, you know, hopefully my goal is to grow that into like a Sims type of company. Awesome. So we're going to have some, you know, going to, we're going to dive into the wet waiting world. Cause I don't think there's, I think it's an underserved market where some maybe have some wet waiting, like pants and shoes and that sort of thing. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But for right now, if you just want to show your love for smallmouth, we got a ton of, ton of cool stuff on our website that's for sale right now so awesome awesome yeah cool dude well thanks again for coming on uh spilling some juice about black flukes and uh all the other great information and um looking forward to having you on again sometime to really dive into flukes with me so yeah for same man and then also for your listeners if they want to go buy anything from us i'll give a a discount code here um it's bleed bronze 15 so i do not advertise that um i'll message it to people on instagram if they're like you know eh, let me you know ask me questions about stuff but bleed bronze 15 15 off of your first order so you can buy as much stuff as you want but it's a one-time code so if anybody wants to use it feel free um to use that so awesome guys so yeah go definitely check it out um use uh bleed bronze 15 to get 15 percent off but thank you dude that's awesome yep no problem man it was, it was great coming on and uh yeah we'll have to i'll have to get on here on the on the fluke episode for sure 
Definitely. So. Definitely. Awesome, man. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in. This has been the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the Paddle and Fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Have a good night, and uh, we'll catch you later. Nice. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.